This morning I'd like us to turn for our reading to the first book of the Bible and to the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 19. Uh, We haven't given out church Bibles uh, for, for, for reasons we've explained. Do follow in your own Bibles if you've brought them or your own devices. Part of the text Uh, will appear, has appeared uh, on the screen already from verse 14, but I'm going to read from the beginning of Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. It had been my intention in any case to leave studies in the book of Ruth for a few weeks either side of Easter to consider with the congregation here at Grove Chapel some themes relating to death and then resurrection either side of Easter and that may still be the plans that I have. But it is most timely, is it not, that today we should look particularly at this verse verse 18 of Genesis 3, and to consider these few words at the beginning of verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. The dramatic arrival of the coronavirus, COVID-19, has made this message more urgent I have a question. It's a question that we all need to be able to answer as we go about life in this world, wherever we may be or may not be. How can we make sense of what's happening to our world right now? What should our response be to this coronavirus? Part of the challenge of living in an age that is saturated with electronic media and social media is that there is so much news around, so many channels of information and misinformation and disinformation that we may be completely bewildered by what various voices are saying. And we need to be equipped to know what to think of all this. So what are we doing this morning? I think of it like this. We're taking this whole problem of this present world to the doctor's surgery. Maybe the NHS 111 lines are all blocked, congested. So we take planet Earth in its present state, on the 15th of March, 2020, to Camberwell Green surgery, or whatever surgery we happen to be registered at, and we ask for a full medical examination and diagnosis. Only, of course, we don't simply go to the local doctor, to the local GP, We go to the one who is the true heavenly doctor, the one who knows everything, who is the Lord himself. But when you go to a doctor, 
How do you begin? How does the doctor begin? The doctor will begin by asking about the symptoms before coming to a diagnosis of the actual sickness. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We need to distinguish between the symptoms, the presenting symptoms, and the underlying condition or cause of them. Let's do that today. We start with the symptoms. What is the main presenting symptom in the world today? Well, you can't get away from it. When it was the height of Brexit, the heights of Brexit, or the depths of Brexit, for three and a half years, Brexit dominated the news. But there were always other items on the news, weren't there? After 50 minutes or so, there'd be something else about sport or Northern Ireland or... uh, Something to do with science or technology or celebrities or the royal family or blah, blah, blah. But last night on the news, 10 o'clock, BBC, coronavirus, wall-to-wall, everything was coronavirus from start to finish. What is it? What is it? Well, I'm no expert. There are other people I can see in front of me who are experts in immunology, virology, and so on. It's a virus, an infectious agent that enters the cells of living organisms and replicates itself there massively. And scientists, I understand, have for a long time been quite unsure how to classify viruses. Are they forms of life or are they not? I would be very brief. I am no expert in these areas at all, but they, they have their own DNA or RNA. They have their own genetic code and material. They have protein around them, but they have no cells. They, do not, they are not cellular uh, like bacteria. They have not the usual characteristics of forms of life. But we do know this about viruses. They've caused a great deal of harm in our world long before this current virus, COVID-19. And you've heard about some of these viruses, haven't you? Can't get away from it. The infamous H1N1, which caused the Spanish flu a century ago with devastating losses. And also the swine flu of 2009. You've heard about the H2N2 1957 Asian flu, perhaps. You've heard of course, about the SARS outbreak of 2003 and other recent outbreaks of viruses. And, of course, we've known for some 35 or 40 years about the, uh, the, the HIV virus. We might say that viruses have a lot to answer for, don't they? These miserable viruses, where are they from? What does the Bible tell us about viruses? Well, the answer, the short answer is nothing. You look up in your Bible concordance for a verse in the Bible saying virus, and you won't find one. They weren't known about in Bible times as viruses. And yet, we need to insist the Bible is sufficient for us to know everything we need to know in order to live and be saved in this present world. And we can say this this morning. Viruses belong to the same general category, theologically, if not biologically, 
They belong to the same general category as the thorns and thistles of Genesis 3, verse 18. Viruses are like thorns and thistles in miniature. They don't infest flower beds. They infest cells of living beings. And how are they like thorns and thistles? Well, they are unwelcome, unpleasant, inconvenient additions to the world in which we live. More than that, they are harmful. They are destructive. They cause disorder and difficulty and pain. Thorns and thistles and viruses alike make our work and our lives to be a painful burden rather than a joy. They result in what the Bible in one or two places calls futility. Futility. What do I mean by that? Thorns and thistles and stinging nettles and weeds. Those of you who look after your gardens, if you have gardens, how much of your time is spent clearing the weeds, clearing the... uh, the thistles and the nettles and the suckers and the roots that you don't want to be there when you'd rather plant something beautiful? How many hours and how much sweat of your brow has been expended or wasted, you feel, on clearing these things away? And yet they come back and they come back. We've spent some summer days in recent years clearing all the nettles and thorns and bushes and Horrible things from the back of our garden, but they come back if you don't put something in their place. And what about this coronavirus? How many hours and days and weeks, months, how many billions of pounds and euros and dollars will be lost as a result of tackling, tackling, combating, resisting? coronavirus? How many opportunities for people to do something good and worthwhile are lost because of this unwelcome virus? But of course, there's more to it than this. There's more to what happened in Genesis 3. There's more to these symptoms than what we might call simply unwelcome, inconvenient, or even harmful. In verse 19 of Genesis 3, we read something further that God says to Adam. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And what does God mean when he says these things to Adam? The word isn't present in verse in that verse, the D word. But it's there back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And it's there at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, the word death or the word die. Here the Bible is speaking about death. Here God is saying to Adam, because of what you have done, the sentence of death is pronounced on you. Now hear what I'm saying carefully this morning to all of you. What this coronavirus outbreak is doing, or should do, is make 
everyone, everywhere. Far more conscious and aware of their mortality. And I'm not talking about death rates, whether 1% or more or far less. I am only saying this. This coronavirus must bring the prospect of our own inevitable death nearer to our collective conscience. We don't know how many people are going to die as a direct result of coronavirus. But I recall the Chief Medical Officer, Chris Whitty, a few days ago. Seems to me a a good man, a sane man, a sober-minded man. He said this. He said this to reassure people. Very, very few people will end up dying, he said. And perhaps he's right in terms of the virus itself. But look at that statement universally. Very few people will end up dying. Friends, we're all going to die one day. Maybe 80 or 90 years from now. We don't know when it is. But the message I have for you this morning is far bigger than one which addresses only this current problem. It's a message for life and for eternity. We are all in mortal bodies. However we come to our end, we are all in mortal bodies. We are all in bodies which are in a state of decay. We are all heading for the grave in a world full of decay and futility. All of us. But let me say this once more. Thorns, thistles, viruses, bacteria, diseases, and even death itself, these are the symptoms. These are the symptoms. They're not, in terms of what the Bible says, they are not the sickness. They are the symptoms. They are what present. There's something underlying them. And we need to know what that is. We need to look at the sickness now, the sickness itself. Let's do that. Now, we are being told on the media repeatedly and rightly to trust the scientists, follow the experts, follow the evidence. And we should. If you said to me, you Christians and you preachers, you, you, you're not scientists, are you? You hate science, don't you? You think science is wrong, don't you? That's not true. Science is a noble, God-given task when put to its right use of subduing this creation to make it beneficial for human habitation in particular. We should be lovers of science. Practitioners of science. Science is right. Science is good. Good science is good. Do your science. But understand this. There comes a point where all the world scientists are unable to speak with one common voice. Scientists of the world, where did viruses come from? How did they originate? There is no consensus. 
No one knows for sure among the scientific community who are by and large wedded to the theory of evolution. Why do human beings age? Answer that, scientists. What exactly is life? Answer that, scientists. And what is death? And why do people die? Scientists of the world give us one clear answer to that question, and they cannot. You see, there comes a point where we have to realize that wonderful and fascinating and powerful, though modern science and technology is, and I mean that with all my heart, there comes a point where human science has to keep quiet and the voice of God in his word alone must be heard. And that's what we have to do this morning. And that's what you need to understand in your own mind, especially as people ask you maybe, you're a Christian, what's going on? What's this virus all about? How will you answer that question? Well, we need to answer this. Let's get beneath the symptoms. Let's get down to the sickness. What is the basic sickness that's afflicting the earth? It's whole environment and the human race right now. And we need to go to the text of Genesis 3 and look at it very carefully. And if anything, we need to kind of follow it backwards. Come with me to verse 18. Our text today. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Why are they there? We asked the children that a few moments ago. Why are there thorns and thistles there? Well, we go back a verse to verse 17 to see the answer. At the end of verse 17, we read these words, Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground, hence the thorns and the thistles. Cursed is the ground, why? Because of you, Adam. And we go back to the beginning of verse 17. We're only looking at a very short section this morning. And verse 17 tells us why the ground is cursed and why there are thorns and thistles there. And to Adam, God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground Because of you. You, Adam. You didn't listen to me, says God. You listened to your wife rather than to me. And she'd listened to the serpent. And in listening to her and following the serpent, you have gone against the clear command I gave you that you heard with both your ears and understood with your righteous mind that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Where does death come from? It comes from disobedience. It comes from sin. What went wrong at the beginning? God made man upright. God gave man this original righteousness. Man wasn't made a sinner. Man wasn't made a rebel. Man wasn't made disobedient. 
But man rebelled and man disobeyed his Lord, his creator, his master. He went away deliberately from the clear, clear words, you shall not eat of that tree. In the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. But he listened to a different voice and he disobeyed the words of his creator. And that is sin. It's the sin of Adam and of Eve. And it's the sin in which we were conceived and born and which we go on living in naturally. We are natural-born sinners, every one of us. And sin results in guilt before a holy God and in condemnation and in death. The soul whose sins shall die says the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel. And a better known verse perhaps in Romans 6 verse 23, the Apostle Paul, the wages of sin is death. That's the big picture. The wages of sin is death. Everything that has infested this world from Genesis 3 onwards, the thorns and the thistles, the viruses, the bacterial infections, the disorders, the chromosomal aberrations, the syndromes, the disabilities, the deformities, the, the conditions that we inherit, the congenital difficulties, diseases and so forth, they come because the world is in a state of sin. And that world was plunged into futility. That's what Paul in Romans 8 calls futility. What does that mean? Futile, vain, pointless, profitless, useless, going round and round in ever-repeating circles and sometimes spiraling down in ever-decreasing downward circles. Romans 8 verse 20, the Apostle Paul says this, the creation, the world, the universe was subjected to futility. Futility. If you know the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, you know that that begins with pictures of this apparent and this futility that we find there. A generation is born and a generation dies. Why? What a waste. How pointless. Have you ever walked through you walk through a graveyard and you see the dates of people born and died and those dates might be, they might be 95 years apart, they might be 15 years apart, they might be only a few days apart, but people have died. Why are babies born in Syria or Yemen if they're going to have a life that is so miserable and cut short by bombs or bullets, we say? What futility. The water cycle, what's it all for? Evaporation from the oceans. Up comes the water vapor into the sky. The clouds form, blown over to the mountains. They fall as rain or snow. They, they water the ground. They form streams. They form rivers. They go back into the sea where they started. The water just goes round and round. Coronavirus. Hospital beds being commandeered from private hospitals, ventilators being brought from various 
assembly lines. And what are they there for? Well, they're there to keep some people alive for a bit longer, we might think. Oh, the money going on them. Why? Why the futility? Why the futility? All these symptoms of futility in this world are present because of the underlying sickness, which is human sin. That's why this has come about. Because the world is in a state of sin. Is that the end of it all then? If you are not a Christian, and for anybody in this world who is not a Christian, that's all that there is to say. But it's not all that there is to say, is it? There's a solution. There's a solution. There's a savior. There's an answer. What is it? Symptoms. Should we treat symptoms? Of course we should. It's irresponsible not to treat symptoms. We should treat symptoms. That's why we need scientists and doctors. That's why we should thank God for them and pray for them. That's why we need medication. That's why we need to wash our hands. That's why we need to look for a vaccine. That's why our government should take careful measures calculated to delay and research and mitigate the effects of this virus. That's why a local church like our own should carefully follow the advice given by the appropriate government-approved authorities, as we are, as we do, as we must, as we will. It's the business of every one of us to be alert and responsible when it comes to dealing with this virus and everything else. A great deal of your time and mine in this life is spent dealing with symptoms. We have to deal with the symptoms. But what about the sickness? How can that be treated? That's the deeper question. That's the bigger question. That's the important question. And it's a question that the collected wisdom of doctors and scientists and politicians and economists and teachers and sociologists and lawyers and experts in so many fields, vital though their understanding and expertise is, they can't answer this question. How do we deal with the sickness of sin, which has led to this set of symptoms that we are all part of, whatever form they might take? Only God can tell us. Only God can direct us to the solution. It takes another Adam. It takes a better Adam. A second Adam. The righteous Adam. Jesus Christ himself. And only he to rescue this sin-sick world from its fallenness and its futility. Jesus is announced in this text, isn't he? In verse 15. Do you see how good God is, friends? Do you see how gracious God is? Do you see how kind God is? Do you see how God at the beginning, before any curse is announced on the man or the woman or the ground, what the Lord God does is to assure them and to assure us I'm going to conquer. 
I'm going to rescue. I'm going to save. I'm going to rescue and redeem this world from the sickness and the futility and the disease and the death because I will crush the head of the serpent, Satan, who brought this sin into the world. Jesus, the offspring of the woman, his name is Saviour. His name means the Lord saves. And his name is the only name given in this world by which you and I must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. But it's found fully in him. You know, I was thinking the other day about the naming of this virus, coronavirus, and I thought to myself, there's a Good Friday sermon here somewhere, is there not? You know what corona means, don't you? Crown. The crowning virus. Who wore the crowning virus? Who wore a crown of overgrown viruses around his brow? Sorry for the experts here, my biology is completely going off at a tangent here. But the thorns and the thistles, the sharp needles that appeared in Eden, after so many mutations and generations and centuries, they found their way to the brow of Jesus Christ, didn't they? Do you hear what I'm saying? And on that cross, nailed to the cross, hands and feet, a crown of thorns on his head, those crowns pierced his head as much as the nails pierced his hands and feet. He took that suffering and sickness and virus and disease and death on himself. Why? Because he loves this fallen world. And he loves those who are dying in this world. Dying of their sin and dying because of the sin that is endemic in this world and never has been since Adam. To take that on himself. Why? In love. That he has to die in our place. To rescue and to redeem us from sin. And to rescue and redeem this fallen world one day from thorns and thistles and weeds and everything else. When he comes again. Romans 8.21 The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you hear that? If it's not one virus, it'll be another. I know this one is a particularly malignant one right now, but you know, bondage to corruption. That's what this world's in. But when he comes... The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We sing at Christmas time, don't we? No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. No more will thorns infest the ground. No more will viruses or sicknesses infest human bodies. 
and neither will death. Revelation 21, those beautiful words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And my friends, you need to come to Jesus Christ today, right now, while the door is open. It's the most urgent need of every human soul, and it always will be. It's greater than the threat of coronavirus, that is, the threat of sin. Viruses are but a symptom. The sickness, the sickness is your sin. And Jesus deals with the sickness by dying and rising again in your place if your trust and hope are in him alone. It will always be our greatest need to find forgiveness and peace with God. This gospel of Jesus Christ that says, come, come to me, follow me, repent of your sins, turn to me, have faith in me, is always the most important message for every day while this world continues as it does. Your greatest need and mine will always be to come to Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who took every sorrow on his body and his soul as he died on that cross, that he might deliver us from sin and all its consequences. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, there are some things we have dealt with today that are hard for us to deal with, oh, Lord God, but we come to your word, which tells us, and it's only your word that does tell us why these things are as they are, but we have a Savior who was crowned with all, all the thorns and thistles and the corrupt, painful offshoots of this sin-sick world to taste death, to go through death on behalf of those whom he came to save. O oh Lord our God, move by your mighty Holy Spirit to bring Jesus Christ risen into our hearts that we may put our hope in him and him alone and find forgiveness and peace with you now, today, and forevermore. We ask in his name. Amen.